This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Pink Moon Murders, a production of iHeartRadio and Cavalry Audio. Episode 9, Narcissistic Injury. As to count seven, are withdrawing your former plea of not guilty, entered to the charge of aggravated murder in violation of section 2903.01A of the Ohio Revised Code, the last victim being Hannah Mae Rood. I am, Your Honor. What plea do you wish to enter in count seven? the charge of aggravated murder of Hannah May Road. I am guilty, Your Honor. On April 22, 2021, Jake Wagner shocked the Pike County Common Police Courthouse. It was packed after rodent loved ones had been notified and members of the media were tipped that they might want to attend the surprise hearing. This was two and a half years after Jake, his brother George, and their parents, Angela and Billy, were arrested and charged with massacring eight sleeping members of the Roden family, including Jake's ex-girlfriend and baby mom, Hannah May. The four Wagners had gotten away with their alleged crimes for two and a half years prior to that. The day Jake admitted his guilt was exactly five years after the murders, the macabre anniversary. No one had expected him to cave, even though substantial evidence had been presented against him in previous hearings as well as against his parents and brother. Notable, however, was the lack of an eyewitness and murder weapons. Before confessing to Judge Randy Deering that he killed 19-year-old Hannah May, Jake had pleaded guilty to counts one to six for the aggravated murders of Kenneth, Chris Sr., Gary, Frankie, Hannah Hazel, and Dana, and he would soon plead guilty to count eight for 16-year-old Chris Jr. Jake pleaded guilty to 23 felonies total including unlawful possession of dangerous ordnance, burglary, forgery, and conspiracy. His final admission was for unlawful sexual conduct with a minor, since Hannah Mae was only 15 and he was 20 when they conceived their daughter, Sophia. Throughout the hearing, Jake had been standing tall and cool, but right before he admitted killing Hannah Mae, he began rocking back and forth. Then he bit back a grimace, closed his eyes, and swallowed hard. That was the only time Jake showed emotion during this two-hour hearing, and he had showed none at his previous hearings I had attended or in the photos I'd seen when he was younger. Of course, he could have been faking it. I didn't attend this hearing, but watched it online. I was in Los Angeles and just two days earlier had finished recording the first eight episodes of this limited podcast series. I thought I was finished, at least until Jake's jury trial, which was scheduled to begin August 30th, and was relaxing at my hotel before flying home to Florida. But suddenly I received a text from a Cincinnati TV reporter who was racing two hours to Pike County. He asked if I knew about Jake changing his plea and if I could give him contact info for people he could interview. He wanted to get their reactions. I inhaled deeply as I processed this bombshell news. Just 10 days earlier, on April 12th, I had attended Jake's previous hearing. During that one, his attorneys questioned whether some of the prosecutor's evidence should be admissible, including shell casings and bloody shoe prints found at crime scenes. 
is expected to be unexciting, so I was the only person on his side of the courtroom. None of his relatives or friends were there, which was typical, and the only other members of the media were a couple of TV reporters downstairs in the makeshift media room. As Jake was led into the courtroom, our eyes locked, as it happened before. I'm sure he wonders who the only guy sitting on his side is. After that hearing was when I asked Special Prosecuting Attorney Angela Canepa who Elizabeth Wagner was. That was a name I'd read in a recent court filing. Canepa replied that she wasn't ready to discuss Elizabeth, but that I'd find out at Jake's May 12th motion hearing, which was scheduled to last all day. So Jake's sudden confession on April 22nd shocked everyone, including the prosecutors. After a few minutes, I called that Cincinnati TV reporter and gave him names and phone numbers of a few Pike County residents he might be able to interview. And then I watched the hearing. I was really curious as to why Jake would admit guilt after all this time. I figured he'd try his chances with the jury, hoping at least one juror would find reasonable doubt. After all, guilty verdicts must be unanimous. It's tough to imagine that when you're in your 20s, Jake was still only 28, you would agree to live in prison for the rest of your life. But maybe he'd developed remorse and wanted to clear his conscience for his own peace of mind and to come clean for his daughter. On my later trips to Pike, a couple of people even speculated Jake might have found religion while incarcerated and started to worry about his immortal soul. Anyhow, toward the end of that surprise hearing, right after Canepa summarized the case, Jake apologized. Mr. Wagner, are there any amendments, corrections, or additions that you wish to make to the statement of facts just given by Ms. Canepa? Yes, Your Honor. I agree to what the state has provided, and I am deeply and very sorry. That was it. No crying or tears. No visible remorse. Just a generic apology to no one in particular that lasted two seconds. He ignored all the rodents, manlies, and gillies sitting behind the prosecutors. Jake did have a strategic reason for pleading guilty. His two public defenders and the prosecutors had negotiated to take the death penalty off the table for him and his family if he pleaded out. Here's Canepa. Upon acceptance of the defendant's plea of guilt to the above outlined offenses and specifications, Your Honor, the state would move to dismiss specifications four, five, and six that are currently um, attached to counts one through eight of the indictment. Those are specifically what are often referred to as the death penalty specifications. The state also agrees to dismiss the death specifications against each of the defendant's co-defendants based upon the defendant's fulfilling his agreement to testify truthfully in each of their respective trials. In addition to life in prison without the possibility of parole, Jake agreed to 160 years in prison for the other counts against him, although that's moot, and fines up to $370,000. That also seems moot since he had declared indigency and cannot even afford an attorney. Then again, his grandmother Frederica might bequeath him something. His testifying against his mom, dad, and brother will be fascinating to watch. Each has been charged with 22 felonies, the same as Jake except for the sex with a minor charge. But in recent interviews with investigators, Jake had already provided evidence that incriminated them. Jake admitted that in the late evening hours of April 21st, 2016, into the early morning hours of April 22nd, 2016, 
is when they committed these homicides. That was during the peak of the full moon. At precisely 1.24 a.m., it was at 100% illumination, although it was greater than 99% the whole night. This was the brightest night of the month. What he told us led us to discover some evidence that had yet to be recovered, specifically the weapons that were used in these offenses, along with vehicles that were used during these offenses, including one that was bought specifically to use the night of the homicides only. The information that Jake provided clearly implicated he and each members of his family to include Billy, Angela, and George Wagner as being guilty of all the counts contained in the indictments. The defendant has, in essence, confessed and apologized for committing these offenses with his family members and admits to personally causing the death of five of the eight victims and either committing all the other offenses contained in the indictment directly or by being complicit in them. Kanepa didn't name the five people Jake killed or say who killed the other three. But during a 2020 hearing for George, we learned investigators found 22 caliber shell casings fired from Jake's Walther Colt 1911 railgun at both his home on Peterson Road and at two of the four crime scenes. Special Agent Ryan Scheiderer of the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation cited ballistics reports when he stated, that the weapon that fired the shell casings at 260 Peterson Road also fired the shell casings at Anna's and Dana's residence, as well as Frankie and Hannah Gillies' residence. Hannah May, Dana, and little Chris slept at that first residence, and Frankie and Hannah Hazel Gilly slept at the second. Those are likely the five he killed. That means Jake did murder Hannah May, his ex-girlfriend, and the mother of his only child. From the prosecutor's standpoint, the plea deal makes sense. It's a guaranteed win, and they can now focus on convicting the other three Wagners with that blue ribbon testimony from Jake. Prosecutors now have an eyewitness to the murders, and they recovered the weapons. But for Jake, I'm still not sure it makes sense. Ohio has a de facto moratorium on executions under Governor Mike DeWine, the former attorney general who spearheaded the Roden murders investigation. He's a moderate Republican. Some Republican and Democratic leaders in the state are working to outlaw capital punishment. DeWine hasn't said if or when he'll sign his first death warrant. The state currently has 130 inmates on death row. Ohio's death chamber, if it does ever get used again, is located at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville, which is an unincorporated area of Scioto County near Pike. The death chamber is only 11 miles from Flying W Farms, where Jake spent much of his life. His grandmother Frederica's church, standing in the center of Flying W, is named Lucasville Mission. Jake and his defense team seem satisfied with their decision, regardless of their reason or reasons for reaching it. At the conclusion of that surprise hearing, when he changed his plea, Jake stood next to one of his public defenders, who said to the judge, We are uh, fully satisfied that this is not only in Jake's interest, which of course that's our duty, um, but it, we also believe it does serve his best wishes and his best interests. Uh, we are fully satisfied that he's gone eyes wide open into this agreement. He knows he's going to die in prison uh, without any judicial release. Even though Jake agreed to spending the rest of his life in prison, as long as he doesn't renege on his end of the deal, I still wondered what people in Pike and surrounding counties wanted as his punishment. I asked dozens, 
and more than half said execution. Here's Brittany Pettit, the longtime friend of Little Chris. They should be murdered. Definitely. No, they should be murdered how they murdered the rodents. They should be hanged. An exception was Tony Roden, who lost two brothers and other relatives in the shootings. Tony said to me, I've told the state of Ohio, the people that's actually going to do the prosecution, and the sheriffs and the deputies. Personally, myself, I don't believe in the death penalty. Now, everybody in my family is a little different. We've talked about it. You want to go out and hurt somebody, kill somebody, but why? That puts you in their place. Are you that type of person? Do you want to be that person? I don't. I don't want to be that person. If the Wagners are the ones that did it, then I hope they live 200 years in prison. The Pink Moon Murders will return after the break. And now, back to the Pink Moon Murders. It's astonishing to think the four Wagners put so much effort, which can be described as diabolical, illegal, sinful, and in so many other ways, into getting custody of a child. Remember, Mike DeWine had said this at a press conference after the arrests. There certainly was obsession um, with custody, obsession with control of children. There are plenty of guys who try everything possible to not have custody of their kids, to deny their paternity, or at least to get out of paying child support. But also Jake seemed angry that Hannah Mae had moved on and was having new boyfriends. Jealousy is as old as humankind. So that might have been a factor. And his mom Angela might have wanted to raise a little girl of her own, one who would enjoy the Wagner's family wealth. Also, Billy might have been getting revenge for Chris Roden Sr., allegedly slapping him shortly before the homicides. But it all backfired. So what type of people could commit such heinous acts and then cover them up for so many years? I spoke with Dr. Thomas Schweinberg, a Cincinnati neuropsychologist who earned his degrees in Southwestern Ohio. He's not involved with the Wagner cases, but does have experience in child custody cases and forensic psychology. He's also a friend of mine from Elder High School. I think it's safe to assume that, you know, some if not all of the, these people involved had either versions of antisocial personality, either traits or the disorder outright. Antisocial is, you know, most people would associate it with like sociopathic. So these are people who they go against anti whatever society, you know, the, the norms and the mores and the expectations, the laws and the rules. So willingness to violate um, what others expect of them, whether it's, you know, uh, family relationships or local authorities or the law of the land. It's like, I know what's expected of me, but I'm going to do what I want anyway. Tom said sociopathic or antisocial personality disorder is sometimes motivated by a sense of control and power. You can't tell me what to do or how to do it. Uh, and if you think you can, you're going to have an issue with me. Um, and then it just depends upon how brazen the person is in terms of whether that becomes something that's, you know, hostile or aggressive or whatever. In layman's terms, they sound like bullies. Tom also discussed narcissism. For whatever reason, the person has narcissistic personality traits or if they have the disorder, you know, these are individuals who, generally speaking, narcissism is a defense for them. They have some very deep-seated insecurities for one reason or the other, and so they form this unconscious defense mechanism of narcissism. It's like, no, I'm not somebody who's weak or vulnerable. I'm a badass. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I deserve people's uh, positive attention. Um, I'm at an elevated level relative to other people. I'm well-known. I'm well-liked. I'm connected. Uh, I'm smarter than most people. I'm more attractive than most people. And maybe for the Wagner defendants, that included being a lot taller and having family wealth. Tom continued. And so they build up this narcissistic persona, but then the problem is when they, they expect other people to recognize that, and they need other people to recognize that and give them the feedback that's consistent with their beliefs of themselves as being this in this elevated position. Um, and when they don't get that feedback, or God forbid somebody tells them something to the contrary, like, dude, you're not all that, it causes this narcissistic injury. That's kind of the term that we use. And so it threatens um, the facade. It threatens the defenses. And so the, the person who is narcissistically wounded is now vulnerable to acting that out in an angry way, a hostile way, in a potentially aggressive way. Um, so I wonder how much of that may have been at play and why this was such a gross overreaction um, to a situation that they didn't have control over. What Tom said seemed logical, but it was still tough for me to comprehend how such a gross overreaction could amount to coldly killing eight sleeping people. I asked if he'd ever come across a case like this. Never. Um, you know, people have done some hard things in the name of, you know, a child custody dispute. Um, and But nothing, obviously, that even, um, you know, this pales in comparison to anything I've seen or probably any other psychologist has seen. When DeWine announces, you know, the threats have been made and, and intimates that it was over a child custody dispute, um, it was a bit hard to wrap your mind around because having been around those kind of disputes, yes, it, it kind of it brings out the worst in people, but for an entire family to be summarily murdered in execution style, um, it just didn't add up. And so the first thought was, what else was going on behind the scenes? I imagine there was more to the story, but I can see if there was a lot building up to that, that a child custody dispute could have been that, which kind of you know, was, was the tipping point, um, so to speak. Right. Yeah, it was shocking. It's hard to, it, it, it's hard to fathom that, that uh, you know, because I'm not getting enough time with my child or you've got, you know, primary custody that uh, we're going to take your entire family out. That's just unthinkable. And finally, Tom had insightful comments regarding the four Wagners allegedly acting as a unit. Although different theories exist regarding Jake's, Angela's, and even Billy's motives in the homicides, I hadn't heard any for George. In a case like the Wagners, I wonder if there was some, because this is something that it's surprising that you can coordinate this effort among three or four family members. Right. You know, that usually there's one person that's going to push that. But the, the sense of loyalty to the family, much as like you would have loyalty to a gang, it's like, I wouldn't choose to do this of my own volition. But if the gang is telling me and if the gang leaders tell me that this needs to be done, then damn it. You know, I, he has my loyalty, and so we're going to do this. Gang is an interesting word here, the Wagner gang. Remember that in the last episode, Special Agent Scheiderer said the four were, quote, very close, end quote. He added, Their finances are intermingled. They work together. They've always worked together. Uh, they live together. They homeschool together. They raise their kids together. Everything is done together, as well as we have an informant who says that every decision within that family is made as a family. Prosecutor Canepa also said the four acted as one. She used the word cult-like to describe them. 
So maybe George murdered just because it made sense for the family as a whole. The foursome already had custody of George's son, Bullvine, after George had had an argument with his baby mom and now ex-wife, Tabitha, with Angela threatening to kill Tabitha. Scheiderer testified to that. And after Tabitha fled their house, she was frightened into signing away her parental rights. Getting full custody of Sophia would make their blood family complete, perfect. And George was helping achieve that perfection. He had loyalty to the gang. Well, now that Jake has turned against George and their parents, even if he thinks he's doing it for the noble reason of saving them from execution, they're no longer that united gang. Of course, this follows George turning against Jake first, accusing Jake of being guilty. Here's George's attorney during the 2020 hearing I mentioned. The testimony we heard here today had nothing to do with George. Really, Your Honor, this whole case, if there is a case, and I'm not saying it is, but it's about Edward Jake Wagner or Angela Wagner. So much for brotherhood, and so much for being the perfect son. And that breakdown of family loyalty is only getting worse. In June 2021, according to court records, George's attorney subpoenaed Jake. They wanted to learn the details of Jake's proffer, meaning his testimony to prosecutors, as part of his plea deal. A week later, Jake's attorneys filed a motion to quash that subpoena, and Prosecutor Canepa and her team filed a memorandum against the subpoena. Judge Deering set a hearing to address all that. There will be lots more legal battling like that before George, Billy, and Angela start their respective jury trials. But while those cases move forward, one that concluded was for ex-Sheriff Charles Reeder, the badass with compassion, who was a front man of the Roden murders investigation, along with Mike DeWine. In March 2021, Reeder was sentenced to three years in prison after pleading guilty months earlier to four felonies and one misdemeanor. He had been indicted on a total of 11 felonies plus seven misdemeanors. The most serious was a first-degree felony for engaging in a pattern of corrupt behavior. Other charges included tampering with evidence, theft of evidence, and conflict of interest. Fortunately, Ohio's BCI took over as the lead agency in the Roden murders on day one. Reader's shocking indictment and all sorts of small town rumors and social media drama connected to it might have otherwise jeopardized the Wagner cases. Remember, almost half a million dollars worth of illegal marijuana was found on Roden property, plus a safe with contents that have not been disclosed. Jurors might have wondered if Sheriff Reeder tampered with that or had any conflicts of interest because he was corrupt. There were many allegations against Reeder, who was investigated by the state auditor's office out of Columbus. These included that he stole drug forfeiture money brought in by his deputies. It was kept in his office in a safe that only he had access to and that he illegally bought impounded cars at county auctions. He had a corporal dirty up a 2013 Nissan Versa so Reader could buy it for a couple of thousand dollars cheaper than it could have gone for. Then Reader flipped it for a hefty profit. And a 1991 Chevrolet Silverado was bought for $350 by a deputy who had been pressured by Reader, and it was given to Reader's dad. But Reader never paid the deputy his employee, the $350. More Pink Moon murders after a word from our sponsors. We now return 
to the Pink Moon Murders. So while the Pike County Sheriff's Office has not been the lead agency for the Roden murders, Reeder did participate in some investigations. In episode five, I mentioned investigators searched three properties connected to the Wagners. One was their house on Peterson Road, one was Flying W Farms, and the third was a car lot where Jake and George occasionally fixed vehicles for the owner. Jake had parked two pickup trucks and three trailers there, and Sheriff Reeder helped on that search. Later, BCI investigators towed away a trailer. And Chris Roden Sr. supposedly had more than 100 used cars scattered around his homestead the day the murders were discovered. Investigators towed away most, but it's conceivable that one or more didn't get logged into evidence correctly and simply disappeared. There's a chance Wagner defense attorneys will use readers' admission of guilt to create doubt in jurors' minds. If the top cop admitted to committing so many serious crimes, jurors might think, what else could he have done? After Reeder was arrested, but before Jake pleaded guilty to the Roden murders, County Commissioner Blaine Beekman told me a lot of people in Pike thought that Reeder was the killer because it was such a tactically smooth operation. People assumed the killer had police or military training. And in that same time window, a guy at Richie's Sports Lounge in Piketon shouted colorful, angry words after I asked him about the ex-sheriff. The guy was a journeyman lineman who had worked at the atomic plant, but I won't say his name because he was drunk. He told me Reeder was corrupt as hell and wanted to get the rodents' marijuana money. A lot of people in the community have theories like that. I did learn from a confidential source of a rumor that's been circulating including among prominent local attorneys. The story goes that Chris Roden owed a lot of money to drug traffickers, a Mexican cartel, and hid his payment in a pile of branches for them to come and collect. But then one of his relatives threw some garbage on top of the branches and lit the pile to burn it away. So all that money disappeared. And then the bad guys killed the Roden family in revenge. Anyhow, Ex-Sheriff Reeder is currently serving his time at the Toledo Correctional Institution, a maximum security prison with 750 inmates in Northern Ohio. He's scheduled for release in March 2024, although he's petitioned for post-conviction relief, according to court documents. He's acting as his own attorney while trying to get his sentence reduced. And a civil lawsuit filed by Pike County commissioners is pending against him. They want to claw back $130,000 they say they paid for his salary, retirement, and health insurance while he was suspended from office before being terminated. So that's on the legal horizon, as is George Wagner's jury trial, which was finally scheduled to start on April 4th, 2022. Judge Deering has allotted three months for it, but it might be moved to a different part of the state if an impartial jury of Pike County residents cannot be impaneled. Angela's and Billy's trial dates remain undecided, but what has been decided is Jake will have to testify against all three of them, his mom, his dad, and his brother. That will be the last time he ever sees them, and like I said, fascinating to watch. Of course, anything could happen before the trials start, including reaching plea deals with prosecutors. But with as much evidence as Kanepa and her team have, I'm not sure they would agree to a deal 
and I'm not sure what the Wagners would get out of it except an early start to life in prison without the possibility of parole. They might as well take their chances with jurors. Meanwhile, people in Pike County, as well as across Ohio and the United States at large, are eagerly waiting. And they're hoping for what's written below Lady Justice on the mural behind Judge Deering's bench. Semper Justitia, always justice. The Pink Moon Murders is a Cavalry audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Written and narrated by David Ratterman. Produced by Brandon Morgan of the Cavalry Audio and Casey Wayland for Wayland Productions. Edited by Tim Mulhern. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. <laughs>